This edition of the Ed Surge On Air podcast is brought to you by Dreambox Learning. Dreambox Learning is an adaptive online K-8 math program designed to complement classroom instruction and proven to positively impact student outcomes. Just go to www.dreambox.com edsurge for more information. Hello, and welcome to the Ed Surge Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mary Jo Matta. The word flexible often pops up in conversations about redesigning learning environments relating to choices in furniture or movable walls. But according to Danish Karani, redesigning 21st century classrooms goes much deeper than merely achieving flexibility. In fact, it involves going all the way back to considering Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Karani is a licensed architect who focuses his work on learning spaces and currently teaches a Designing Spaces for Learning course at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Having worked on locations ranging from Denver's Columbine Elementary to a psychotherapy clinic and adult learning center in New York, Karani has seen and used a variety of tactics to implement learning design in pursuit of specific goals. This week, we sat down with him to learn more about the most common design constraints, architecture gone wrong, and the work his firm recently conducted on the Code Next Lab in Oakland. We'll get to that interview in a second, right after this. Looking for a way to get students excited about learning math and help boost their performance? The Dreambox Learning K-8 online math program personalizes learning for every student while empowering educators to raise student achievement. Its adaptive learning technology analyzes how a student is handling math problems and keeps them in an optimal learning zone by providing each lesson at the right level of difficulty. Students will develop new strategies to ensure deep understanding of key concepts, to develop fluency with important skills, and to cultivate critical thinking. If your school or district needs a math solution that has been proven to enhance math learning in measurable ways, Dreambox Learning is your answer. Just go to www.dreambox.com slash edsurge for more information. That URL once more, www.dreambox.com slash edsurge. All right, listeners, let's get to the interview. So Danish Karani knows what he's talking about when it comes to education as a field for design. He studied at the Harvard Graduate School of Design. He teaches there and at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. And he's worked on a number of design projects, from Denver Public Schools to Boston Public Schools to Google. So it's pretty certain that he knows what he's talking about. We decided to ask him a little bit about various issues he's seen with the way that current spaces look in schools, but also how educators can better support students with redesigned learning environments. We'll let him take it from here. Yeah. Yay. Um, all right. So I am here with Danish Karani, who is an expert when it comes to designing learning environments. Uh, Danish, why not introduce our, yourself to our audience? Hi, everyone. Uh, like Mary Jo said, my name is Sanish Karani. Uh, I'm an architect uh, focused on designing learning spaces. Uh, we've been uh, practicing this for a number of years now. I also teach this uh, at Harvard every year um, and really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, we, and myself especially, but the EdSearch team is curious to learn a little bit about 
why is it that you went into education? So you know, why that space? That's a good question. Um, so a few years ago when I started Karani as a design practice, um, it was with the intent that we would use architecture to help solve global problems and challenges. Um, and I, I think a lot of times, you know, when we're thinking about the biggest ones in the world, whether it's poverty alleviation or environmental issues or healthy living and healthcare or education, uh, architects aren't usually at that round table. And so I wanted to make sure that we had a seat at that table because I think our surroundings make such an impact in our lives. And so, um, of course, you know, you've got to pick somewhere to start. And, um, you know, being an immigrant uh, in this country, uh, you know, you grow up in an immigrant family, usually education is paramount. Uh, your parents understand that for upward mobility, you've got to be educated. And so, uh, that was always of high importance in our family. And, uh, you know, uh, many years ago, about a decade ago, I also ran a college prep mentoring program. Um, so I had some experience working with, um, you know, middle school and high school students. And um, also, you know, while I was uh, studying at Harvard, um, you know, we, I did a lot of work with the Harvard Ed School. Um, and, I, and that was fantastic, like working with educators there. You know, you guys are such passionate people. Um, like undervalued, but always uh, showing up with your best. The, the amount of care and concern you guys put into the well-being of others, it's, it's amazing. And so, um, you know, having done a lot of work with uh, educators at Harvard, um, working with Boston Public Schools when I was in the area, uh, it just made sense. It was, it was something I cared about. Um, the people in the industry are fantastic. And of course, the mission, um, you know, and I think a lot of times we're very, reactive trying to solve problems in the world and education seemed to be one of the most proactive things that you could do uh, to mitigate a lot of what happens in the world um, and so it just seemed like the perfect fit. I can't even tell you how many people have told me that even in the last three months. I know that you've been in a fair number of classrooms both at the k-12 level and the higher ed level. I'm assuming that you've seen various issues with the way that current spaces are still retain some of those design principles from the industrial age or the 1950s. Well, so I, for me, it's the problem is actually that they're not designed uh, or, or that they were designed so long ago that the designs are no longer relevant. Right. And so, of course, like everyone in, in education is talking about 21st century learning and PBL and uh, blended learning and all these new models. And, um, you know, the challenge with school buildings or with any bricks and mortar, it's hard to keep pace. I mean, you, you guys are very nimble. Education is a very nimble, fast moving, you know, Ken Robinson saying one thing today and then something else, you know, five years from now is coming up is the new, you know, uh, the new trend or the new ideology. And so, um, and I think that's good, right? Ed education should evolve and it should evolve fast, right? You should iterate, you should learn quickly. Um, from mistakes and you should keep on improving. Um, and so I, I think it's, you know, it's imperative that architects find a way to keep pace with you guys. And so, you know, the problem with most schools today is that, again, they were designed, you know, if we're talking about K-12 schools in the U.S., most of them were built in the 50s and 60s. Um, you know, they were probably obsolete by the 70s. Um, and we've just kind of dragged them into, you know, 20 you know, 2016 and 2017. And so 
Um, you know, I, I think that's the biggest problem is that we're just dealing with completely outdated infrastructure um, and which needs to be rethought. So as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking to myself, I was at South by Southwest EDU in Austin a, a couple of weeks ago, and I heard educators talking about learning environment design as something that they were interested in, you know, and, and most of the examples I heard had to do with moving furniture or painting the walls or, but I'm wondering if there's something deeper than that. So in your experience, what does the research say about the ways in which learning environments should be redesigned to better support student learning? Well, so of course, um, well, I'll say this. When I was at Harvard, I did a lot of um, a lot of this research, just looking at the you know what people there were calling the frontier of knowledge in this field. And surprisingly, most of the quantitative, longitudinal studies on this stuff really just focus on what I call basic needs, right? So uh, almost if you consider Maslow's hierarchy and you're, we're thinking, you know, sort of food, shelter, water, that, that type of stuff, the basic securities that people need. Uh, the research in learning spaces also focused on that, right? So, um, you know, is it clean, healthy, safe, your environment, right? Do you have enough natural light? Do you have, you know, healthy materials? You know, are you free of asbestos? You know, do you have, um, are you meeting basic needs? And so, uh, the gap in the research is actually that there's very little research that looks at the connection between uh, different learning models, curriculums, and pedagogies, and how space influences them. So if you've got a kid, um, you know, with an individualized learning plan, um, you know, what does the environment mean for them? What does a campus mean for that kid, and how does it impact them? There's not really research out there on that. Um, so in fact, we're trying to build this up. Um, you know, through our projects and through our experiences, uh, this is something that we're trying to figure out and, and share with the world from our findings. Um, but, you know, I, I can say from personal experience that you're right, Mary Jo, that, you know, um, when schools think about redesign or they think about a learning space, they're thinking furniture, right? Um, they're thinking of these buzzwords, let's make it modular, let's make our classrooms flexible. Um, and, you know, I, I always warn uh, schools that I work with and educators that I teach, you know, beware of that word flexible. Uh, it's actually a really hollow term. Uh, that's, that's just an architect's uh, trick to say, you know, we're just going to put everything on casters so it's movable and uh, just walk away. Um, and actually what you've done is, uh, you've not designed anything. You've you've just um, left it open to possibility. But but the challenge is that um, a lot of what happens in schools needs very uh, distinct, very supportive environments. And and you've not done that um, when you make something flexible. You know, again, it goes back to this idea of a one size fits all T-shirt. Um, and as we know, learners, you know, we're the way we think about education now is no longer one size fits all. Um, so the way we think about spaces, it can't be one size fits all. There's too many different learning styles. There's too many different pedagogies and school models and curriculums and approaches to education. And they all need a more nuanced um, approach to design. So again, it's, it's more than furniture, right? Uh, you think about our surroundings. Environment is surroundings and surroundings have um, 
you know, acoustics and noise, they have light and color, they have texture and materiality, right? They have the layout of the furniture. Obviously they have the furniture, um, right? You have graphics and inspiration, visuals around you. You have technology around you. Um, you know, there, there's a myriad of things. And so we actually go through this entire list of uh, everything that makes up a student's environment and make sure that we are clicking on all cylinders. It's not just that you change the furniture and walk away. That's, you know, that's a fraction of someone's surroundings. Well, my last question for you really has to do with the work that you've done, which, you know, we were talking before we hopped on this call, you've worked with Boston Public Schools, Denver Public Schools, Google, whether K-12 or higher ed, what do you think is the project that you yourself are most proud of? Um, yeah, you're right. We're, you know, we've been very fortunate. Um, we're, we've worked with a lot of different school districts, um, innovation labs like the Imaginarium. Uh, we recently designed a middle school and high school for, uh, for Khan Academy for their Khan Lab School in Mountain View, not too far from you guys. Um, you know, I, I think the project that we did uh, with Google, their Code Next lab uh, in Oakland, um, and then soon we'll be designing one in New York as well. I think that was particularly special. Um, it it reminded me of my childhood, and I'll tell you why. You know, the the innovation labs that we were doing with them, uh, they specifically chose, you know, New York City and and Oakland. They wanted to focus on minority communities that didn't really have access to technology. Um, and so Google's mission with this program was to inspire the next generation of tech innovators. Right. And so um, how do you get how do you get these kids excited um, when they've really not had exposure to to tech, to computer science? Um, also, that, you know, they don't have access to this stuff in a lot of these communities and not necessarily have role models in this. Either. There's a lot of Elon Musk's and Bill Gates, but how many guys or you know, how many men and women look like these students? Um, that they can actually uh, feel some sort of connection to. And so, you know, that made me think back to my childhood and, um, you know, you think of, again, like immigrant families or minorities where a lot of times certain opportunities, you, you just, you know, you could easily fall in love with it if you just had access to it, if you just knew about it, if you were just exposed to it. And so, um, you know, I think this was a particularly cool project. You know, it's, um, we built this lab, um, where the entire environment, it encourages tinkering and making um, and really supports this constructivist uh, type of learning. Um, and so the lab, you know, it's got a, it's got a academic classroom, but it also has a maker space um, where they focus on engineering and, and STEM type work. Uh, and there's lots of displays for student creation. Um, and the whole theme of the lab is computer science heroes. So CS heroes, it's just, um, you know, all the walls, they have graphics that, uh, graphics and installations that talk about the history of computer science, the current day uh, technologies in computer science um, and how they relate to the kids' lives. You know, we've got this um, model of uh, the Beats headphones, which is like something all these kids, you know, love. It's like an everyday product and we've taken it apart, uh, stripped it down, all the pieces are exploded. So that kids can see what it's made of and understand, like, look, this is technology. These are, uh, this is wearable technology, um, you know, and what's the lineage and the history that brought us to this. Um, and, you know, the kids have access to 3D printers, laser cutters. Um, and there's a, 
specifically the, the future portion of this lineage of past, present, and future of computer science, the future is left blank. Um, we wanted kids to be able to project their, how do we think the future of technology and computer science should be, given that we are going to be a part of that future, like what do we want it to be? How can it serve us and our communities better? So, um, you know, for me, it's, uh, it's just a very special project, like seeing, uh, seeing these kids in there, um, you know, really warms your heart and, and, um, you know, it's an after-school program, right? It, it's a, it's a fantastic opportunity for them. So, um, I think that was very special for us. Well, Donish, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And if anybody wants to get more information about your organization, where should they go? Uh, so they can go to a couple places, but uh, first and foremost, they should go to www.karani.us. So that's K-U-R-A-N-I.us. Um, they could follow us on Twitter. They could follow me on Twitter. It's, um, handles are at Donish Karani and at Karani underscore U.S. This has been the EdSearch On Air podcast. This episode was produced and edited by me, Mary Jo Matta, and advertisements were read by Alice Meyerhoff. You can give us a grade on the quality of this podcast by rating us on iTunes or sending an email to us at feedback at edsearch.com. You can also subscribe on the iPhone podcast app, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back again next week with more on the future of education. We'll see you then.